what we've talked about so far in Ephesians. Who could sum up chapters 1 through 3 in four words? <laughs> Ken's hand was up the whole time and then four words came out. Yeah, there's time. Who can summarize the first three chapters in four words? Think through it. Maybe look through your notes. Maybe have your Bible open if you need a Bible. Uh, there's people in the back. Jason will find you a Bible if you need a Bible. But um, who can sum it up? Four words, three chapters. There's no rush. You can be. You can think through it. Elijah. Ooh, Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was good. Okay, who else? That was good. You did. It was, it, was, you did, it was right. I mean, you did cover what we covered. Yeah. Joel, what you got? We are in Christ. We are in Christ. Boom. I like that. Ken? Paul is a prisoner. Paul is a prisoner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Put your hand up. No, okay. Anybody else? These are good. Buck? Oh, seated in heavenly places. Nice, nice. Who else? Get two more people, give it a try. Are there any girls in here that have been paying attention? I just called out the female race. <laughs> Rebecca, you're being voluntold. <laughs> Not by me, but someone else. What do you got? Give it a try. There's no wrong answer. The stakes are low. Um, I think wisdom. I think wisdom. I think wisdom. <laughs> wisdom from the Lord. Wisdom from the Lord. Just wisdom from the Lord. From Lord. Chapter 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, wisdom from the Lord. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I like that she just owned it. Like, she was willing to argue with me. I like it. Okay, one more. One more girl. Wait. There's like a thousand girls in here and like 12 boys, so. Mazzy? You forgot? You're calling Brock a girl. <laughs> Got him! <laughs> All right, Mazzy, but you raise your hand, so you got to do it. First two chapters in four words. I don't think I was here. I don't think. I got one, I got one, I got one, I got one, I got one. Never mind. You got to You got it. It's right there. Let it ha- let's have it. Well, Mickey told me that the answer to everything is Jesus. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Mickey told me Jesus. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. Way to go, Mickey. You got her, man. Great. Okay, let's jump into chapter four then. So we're gonna just cover three verses. We're gonna talk about um, we're gonna talk about Paul's surrendered life. We're gonna talk about. Uh, the church's purpose and our approach to that purpose, to fulfilling our purpose. And then we're going to talk about um, our attitude 
We're going to talk about having humility um, be the defining feature of our attitude. So let's just jump in. We're going to look at the first part of verse 1 uh, to begin with. The title of the message was Be Humble. That's kind of going kind of to gonna drive uh, the message. But first part says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So Paul again, just like he did in chapter 3, he's, he's identifying as the prisoner of the Lord. And what does that tell us? Not a rhetorical question. What does that tell us? That Paul identifies yet again as the prisoner of the Lord. What's it tell us? His life is surrendered. Right? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes, that Paul had a surrendered life. His life was surrendered, meaning that he knew his life didn't belong to him. Right? He knew that his life was not his own. In fact, he wrote those very things when, in, in, to the Corinthians when he said, what, know you not that you're bought with a price? Like, that you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. And he knew that was true of himself. But you know who else lived a surrendered life? Mazzy, you know who else lived a surrendered life? Jesus. Jesus, yes. Christ had a surrendered life. And so let's look at a couple examples. Um, more, I want to see if you can, I want you to find the principle here, okay? You determine the principle. See if you can figure it out. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 43, describes Jesus' surrendered life. It says this, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. So he surrendered, right? He says, not my will, but thine. He surrendered to the Father's plan, to the Father's will. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. That's going to be significant. Uh, and one significance of this angel appearing is uh, it, it, it demonstrates this principle that we're going to see in another passage. I'll see if you can figure it out here. Fe uh, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 9, it says this, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, right? He humbled himself, he surrendered himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here it is. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. What's the principle? See who can take a stab at it. If you can get this, you're really sharp. Anybody think you can identify the principle I'm working with? No? No worries. Okay. How about this? We'll lay it out here. First Peter chapter five, verses five through seven. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What's the principle? What you think? Oh, you're stretching. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Who thinks they can identify? What is the principle at work here at play? Tegan knows it? What? 
It's impressive. I can't get that high. What's the principle here? What do these three verses have in common? You guys are like, this is not English class. Why are you doing this to us? Aubrey? Humility. Ken? Being obedient, right? Okay, those are the first part. Yes. What's the other half? Okay. Take a stab at it. Say that one more time. Yep, being subject, submitted to one another. Yep. What's the other half of that? Let me propose this to you. What we're seeing here is we're seeing a a submission, we're seeing a humility, all those things, being subject. And then we're seeing strengthening, we're seeing being highly exalted, we're seeing uh, exalting, bringing back up. So you lowering yourself, and then God lifting you. So in other words, when you lay your life down, God picks you up. And He takes care of you. If you're holding your life, and you're not laying it down, surrendering it to the Lord, how do you expect Him to take care of it? Right? Now I know He's gracious and He's sovereign, and He does. Even when we're hanging on to things, He still takes care of us because He's that good. But look at the principle here, man. We're called to lay our life down. And there's promise, there's blessing if we'll, if we'll do that. The call is not to just give up parts of your life this morning, okay? What we're seeing from Paul's identity, he's a prisoner of the Lord. That means all of his life. Everything that he knew, everything that belonged to him, everything that he thought and he felt, all of his rights, all of it was surrendered to the Lord. And that's the call for you and me this morning. The call is to lay it all down, to give it all up, the little decisions and the big decisions, Seniors, your school and what you do moving forward, that is to be surrendered to the Lord. Juniors, going into your senior year, thinking about being the leaders in this class and then even thinking further in the future about you know, what happens after high school. All of that is to be surrendered to the Lord. And I think in the past, just on that topic of seniors moving on, I think my counsel in the past has been, every time anyone asks me, hey, what do you think I should do? I, I said this to a senior class a couple years ago. I said, my answer is always going to be for you to go to Kaya. And, and let, me, let me just re-take that back a little bit. And I want to say it this way. <clears throat> I want you to just be surrendered to the Lord. And I trust that He'll lead you. If you're listening and you're laying your life down, you say, I'm not going to make the decision for me. I'm going to give that decision to the Lord. Right? And that's the best possible situation to be in because if you give your life to the Lord, who's going to take better care of it? You or Him? I mean, come on. Right? Of course He is. We're called to give up our cares and our concerns for our life, to just surrender it all, to be a prisoner. Now, the, the, the flesh, right? What's the flesh tell you to do? Regarding your decisions in your life, what's the flesh say? Whatever feels right. What else? Follow your heart. Yeah. What else? 
do whatever feels comfortable for you. Comfort, yeah, comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, your flesh says you got to fight for your life. You have to fight for it. You have to protect it. It's your life. You have to fight for your life. The flesh says you have to fight for your rights. Right? You have to fight for your rights. You have to go to war to get what you want. The world says, go make it happen. Go do it. And the Spirit says, surrender your life. Right? Surrender your rights. God's saying, give up. It's going to be better for you. You can think of it this way. God is calling us this morning to turn ourselves in. Turn yourself in and become a prisoner of the Lord. And here's the question, okay? Here's your first key question. Who are you this morning? What's your identity? Are you a prisoner of the Lord or are you identifying as something else? Okay, in an age where you get to choose, you know, you get to identify as whatever you want, right? Let's make it simple, okay? God says you're a servant, you're a prisoner. If you're in Christ, man, that's your identity. So do you agree? Is that where you're at? Or are you choosing something else? Are you fighting against that? Are you working against that? Are you saying, no, I'm not a prisoner of the Lord. I'm not surrendering my my rights and my life and stuff because I'm going to take care of myself. Where are you at with that? Now for some of us, maybe that's pretty challenging. For some of you, maybe you're, you are, you say, you would say, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I, yeah, it's all good. Whatever he says, I do. But maybe you're not. Maybe you struggle with this. Maybe this is hard. I know it's been hard for me plenty of times. Like every day. <laughs> right? It's a daily it's a daily fight to say, I surrender, to turn yourself in. That's tough. Okay, let's keep going. Verse uh, 1b, so the second part of chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, what? Beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Okay, so some, some big words. Beseech. What does beseech mean? Yeah, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm telling you. I'm imploring you. Hey. Hey, please do this. Do what? Walk worthy. Okay? That's going to be our approach. If this section is uh, purpose and approach, to walk worthy, this is how we accomplish our purpose or we fulfill our purpose, which is walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, I don't know about you, but for lots of years, I've read this verse and thought well, that just means my job. So, like, I'm a teacher. So, I'm supposed to walk worthy of the vocation. I'm supposed to walk worthy of the Lord in my vocation. I'm supposed to be a teacher unto the glory of God. Right? Which is true. And we'll see some of that in Ephesians chapter 6. Like, there is a certain way that I'm supposed to live life. But vocation, what's that mean? What does that word mean? Calling, yeah, yeah, calling or job, purpose, (laughs) right? Okay, wherewith ye are called. He's talking to the Ephesians. In light of all the other chapters, 
What is the vocation that he's talking about us being called to? Being a prisoner. What would you say? Say that one more time. To Christ. Yeah. Prisoner. Prisoner of Jesus Christ. But what is this big mystery that we've been talking about? The church. All through this book of Ephesians, he's identifying and describing what our life should look like in Christ as the church. He's talking about this big mystery. This vocation wherewith ye are called is, yes, to be a prisoner. Yes, it's to be submitted to Christ. Yes, it's to be whatever job you find yourself in as a teacher, a student, a nurse, or whatever. But the vocation is, hey, you're called to be the church. And you need to walk worthy of being the church. Okay, so let's, let's look at it a little bit. The church, the vocation, is to be the church. It's our collective, you know, as a group, that's our purpose on earth. But before we look at that, uh, we look at the purpose <clears throat> and what that looks like, what we do as the church. Let's first consider Christ's purpose and, and approach. He's going to, you know, he's going to show us how to do it. Okay, but let's look at his specific purpose and his specific approach. In John chapter 19, verse 25 through 30, it, it says, it says this. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. So he's up on the cross. There's his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, who's that? John. So he sees his mom and he sees John. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Now, we're going to address that in a moment. That's the approach, but let's look at the, look at the purpose here. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. He knew that all things were now accomplished. Where is he at? He's on the cross. So what's he about to do? He's about to give his life for the sin of the whole world. He had just lived those three previous years ministering. Obeying the Father. The previous 33 years living a life fully and wholly given to the Lord, right? And he's saying it's all accomplished. The work is done. And he says that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And so he's fulfilling one more prophecy. It's in Psalm uh, 69, I think. He says, I thirst. Now there was set a, set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What is finished? His life's not finished and he knew that. What's finished? His purpose. He did the work. That he was called to do. And it was a work that he wasn't eager to do. Right? We just read earlier. That he, he said. If, man. If it's okay with you God. Will you let this cup pass? But not my will. Thine be done. And then. Moments later. He's on the cross. And he needs a little bit of. A little bit of liquid. So that he can. 
he can make this last, uh, this last concluding statement. It's finished. And even in that, even in his last words, he's fulfilling prophecy. So what was Jesus' purpose? The purpose of Christ's life was to fulfill the work God had called him to on earth, which was miracles, right? Healings, serving, laying his life down. You read through the Gospels and you see all these different things that he did. And then you can look in the Old Testament. Get this, okay? Listen, this is, if, if you doubt the Lord, if you doubt God, listen to me right now. Jesus' life was prophesied all through the Old Testament. So if you read through the Gospels and you see the things that he did, the miracles and the healings, those things were prophesied in the Old Testament. And different things that happened to him through his crucifixion where the guards are like gambling for his clothes. And dude, there's so many. There's over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Even where he was born, all of these things, God had orchestrated and aligned. And then Jesus walks in them and he fulfills them and he accomplishes the purpose that, that he had here on earth. He did what he was supposed to do. He finished it. He fulfilled it. We're going to get to our purpose. Will we do it? But let's look at his approach, because I think his approach is really, really cool. In verses 25 to 27, uh, and you can hit the next slide. This was that. The hiss up in the vinegar, it's finished. But So look here at this top section. He stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. He's on the cross. He's about to die. Do you know what he's just endured up to this point? He's been brutalized. He's been brutalized. He's about to die. He's about to finish his work. And, and what's he do? He sees these women, and he sees his mother and John, and he says, Hey, look, that's your son. And he says, hey, look, that's your mom. You take care of her. Take care of her for me. And John takes her into his home and he looks after her for years. <clears throat> Jesus, in his, in his lowest point in life, I mean, the dude, if anyone has an excuse to just like talk about how bad they've got it, and we like to talk about how bad we, get, we, we have things. We like to talk about how hard life is, how bad life is. We like to talk about how you know, much we have to do, how, how busy we are, how oh, I'm just working hard, I'm, tired, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. We like to talk about that. If anyone actually had a reason to be a little like, man, guys, I'm, I did it, but man, I'm worn out. This really cost me a lot. This hurt. It was Jesus. But what does he do in his last moments? He says, hey, take care of her. He's thinking about other people. His eyes are not on himself. They're on the people that he cares most about. The approach is he's being very selfless, right? He's not worried about him. He's worried about them. There's a good study. There's a, I've heard it's described the seven... Seven things that Jesus says on the cross. 
if you study from the different gospel accounts the things that he's talking about while he's up there on the cross, that'd be something you could study on your own. But man, Jesus on his on his dying moment is looking out for others. So church, we do what we are called to do and, and the way that we are called to do it is important. We are called the vocation to be the church. The church has certain responsibilities that we're gonna we're gonna consider. But then how we do that as the church is also equally important. We have to do it in a fashion that is walking worthy. The, vo- the vocation as the church, the job, the duty, the responsibility, the ministry that we are to fulfill is to preach the gospel and make disciples. Your job, church, as a church, I'm not talking about you individually. I'm talking about us as a church. Our job is to preach the gospel and make disciples. Now, how do you fit into that equation? I don't fully know for everybody individually, but I know this. You as the church, that's who you are, and that's what you're wired and designed to do. It's to preach the gospel and make disciples. And there's a couple of different ways. We could, we could look at the, the nitty-gritty, the technical parts. If your job as the church is to preach the gospel, well, I'm going to preach the gospel just about every Sunday. And it's going to be preached and presented just about every Tuesday. And at all of the Bible studies, the gospel is the goal. So if your job is to preach the gospel, but you're like, I don't know how to preach the gospel to somebody. Well, maybe you need to make faithful attendance to church a priority. Or maybe you need to plug into a Bible study. I'll put it this way. At the judgment seat of Christ, when your life is evaluated, what did you do with the gospel? All I know is I'm really, really kind of scared of that day because I, I, I don't know that I fully communicated. I don't know how well I've communicated that, hey, you can all, every single person in this room, whether, you're, whether this is your first time or not, it doesn't matter. You can be part of the Great Commission of the fulfilling the church's purpose if you will just plug into the system that we have, the structure we have. If you'll buy in, you'll be part of preaching the gospel and making disciples through mentorship. You know, the seniors this year, they, they blazed a trail for us. They, they've done mentorship and they were considering, okay, do we turn around and, and mentor with the people that mentored us? And they considered it and they prayed and, and, and the answer was, let's just, let's transition into Kaya. It's a good decision. But they worked out the kinks of mentorship and we've updated, we've edited the material and it's going to be a little more easy for us to work together to bring young people along in the Word of God. So now you juniors and you sophomores and even you freshmen, what you can be thinking about is I need to get plugged into mentorship so that I can turn around and mentor other people. Hello, church. Your goal, your job is to make disciples and you can do that. Right? Okay, but how do we do that? What's, what's our approach in that? It's the same as Christ. It should be done with selfless love and care for those in your life. So the key question is, what are your eyes on this morning? Are your eyes on yourself and your circumstances and the things that you've got going on in life and how busy you are and this and that? And man, I, I get it. Like... Life is really chaotic sometimes. I understand that. But the Bible sets the bar right here. 
hey, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Stop worrying about what you got going on. Give that to the Lord and get over yourself. Look out at the people that God might want to use you in their lives. Be full of care in terms of compassion and love for other people because they need it, man. They need it. Okay, let's keep moving here. The next section is we're going to talk about our attitude. Okay, so we've, we've looked at some actions. We've looked at like how we do this job of preaching the gospel, making disciples, and doing that with care for other people, having our eyes out. But let's look at our internal. Let's look at what our actual, actual attitude ought to be. And, and as you already know, it should be done in humility. Our attitude should have, um, it should be marked with humility. Verse 2, he lays it out this way. He says, with all lowliness and meekness. Lowliness, right? Not high on yourself, but low. Meekness. Not not going and doing something. You've got all I mean, think about it like this. Jesus gave you all power to accomplish the Great Commission. You know, you, you've been given the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind, right? You've got all this power. You're, you're, you're strong if Christ is in you, right? But meekness is... I, I've got strength, but I don't have to insert myself into everything. I'm going to be quiet, quietly strong, right? With long suffering, suffering long, enduring, right? Forbearing one another in love. And so, just again, before we walk through what our attitude should look like in light of this uh, verse in Ephesians, let's... Let's look at Christ's example. We'll see how he did it. The good thing about the Bible is it shows us, God shows us how he wants us to do everything that he wants us to do. Right? That's pretty cool. He doesn't say, hey, go make disciples, and then doesn't show us how to do it. He doesn't say, hey, go be humble, and then doesn't show us how to do it. It's not the case. He shows us how to do it. So here's Christ's humility. Again, back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this. Paul is telling the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, this attitude. Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's God, but made himself of no reputation. He's God, but he made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people, I don't know, maybe not a lot, but I've heard this, even in this group. Why is God all about his glory? Doesn't that seem like he's a little selfish? and he a little egocentric if he wants all the glory? If he wants all the praise? Why is he all about himself? It's because he's God. But you can't say God is proud if if he made himself of no reputation and he became a servant to you and to me. And he became obedient. He showed obedience all the way unto death. He's more obedient than anyone in this room has ever been. Some of you are great kids to your parents. Excellent. You don't even come close 
to how obedient Jesus was. Jesus obeyed all the way until he was dead. He was given a harder task than any of us have been given. You can't say he was proud. He humbled himself. He made himself low. He was meek. He had all strength and didn't insert himself into the, into the situation of the equation. Right? He suffered long. He literally suffered long for us. And he, for, he forbore us. I mean, come on. No reputation. When he's the only one with a flawless reputation, he's not trying to make a name for himself. He humbled himself before his creation. Right? And you can hit the next slide here. He was obedient to the Father all the way to his own death. Now, church, here's what it looks like for you and me. Lowliness and meekness, consider this. Believers don't try to beat each other in their walk with Christ. You're not competing. Be low. Be meek. Your spirituality is not determined by how effective or awesome or impressive you are in ministry. If that were the case, none of us would be very spiritual at all. Because we're, if we're honest, we're not really that impressive. I mean, I think some of you are really great. I, I think all of you are really great. But, I mean, some of you, some of you could do some really cool stuff. Like, Joel could play, the, Joel could play that thing and sing. That's kind of cool. Right? Joel leads a Bible study. Joel can draw people to his Bible study. Joel is kind. Joel is really smart. Joel can do a lot of different things, but I, I think Joel recognizes this, that that doesn't actually determine, that doesn't determine his value. That doesn't make him better than anyone in this room. He's not competing, and nor should you. Believers, long-suffering, what that looks like is believers don't give up on each other. So you're not trying to win, but then you also don't just give up. You suffer long when someone is annoying, when someone is really hard to be around, when, they, when they're pushing your buttons, which you're high school students. So you all do that. You say, I'm not annoying to anybody. Yes, you are. I guarantee you are annoying to someone. I know that I'm annoying to people. I'm annoying to probably all of you at some point. But I need you, church, to be long-suffering toward me. I get it. I know how I'm immature. The difference between you and me is I know I'm immature and you don't. We all push each other's buttons. But we do not give up on each other. Jesus didn't give up on you. He's up on the cross. He didn't give up on his mom or his disciple. He's taking care of them in the hardest moments of his life. Suffer long, man. Commit to each other. And lastly, as you see, forbearing one another in love. Believers work together in their walk with Christ. So it is a collaborative effort being the church. We have to work together. I need you. And you need me. Sorry. If you don't like it, that's tough. I can tell you, I, I'm annoying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... You know, the first... The first thing that I said to Josh when we met up for discipleship 10 years ago or whatever, the first thing I said to him in our meeting at IHOP and Lee Summit, <laughs> I, said, I said, Josh, I'm really excited to do discipleship with you. 
we made small talk, and I said, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm probably going to let you down. I'm probably going to drop the ball. But I'm going I'm to give my, I, like, I really want to do this. I want to give my life to investing the word into you and being your friend and this stuff, but I'm probably going to let you down. And I can say the same thing to all of you. I'm definitely going to let you down. I'm definitely going to offend you. I'm definitely going to say something that rubs you the wrong way. I've done it over the years. I mean, many of you know specific things that I have said and done that you've been like, whoa. But you know who, but you know who can say, yeah, Jeff, you've offended me? It's the people who are closest to me. Because they've let me get close to them. They've let me into their heart. It's a process and it's hard work. They're willing to suffer along with me. They're still in this room. I mean, come on. Engage with one another. Let each other in and suffer along. Forbear one another. Work together. Put up with each other. It's worth it. And I would mention, in in light of church authority... I'm, I'm not claiming to have the authority or um, the honor that belongs to the Lord. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? That's what high schoolers do. I love you. But high schoolers, they'll, they'll halfway listen. This happens like every day in my life. <laughs> high schoolers will halfway listen. I'll say something. And they're like, Jeff definitely just said this, this, and this. And I definitely did not say that. <laughs> okay, so listen to me. and don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? But consider this, submission to church authority or leadership, even submission to your Bible study leader, submitting to them, saying, okay, let's do that, is an opportunity to express submission to Jesus. It's an expression of submission to the Lord. You say, nah, I don't think so. I'm not saying I'm the Lord, but if you'll submit to me, what you're saying is, Lord, I submit to you because you put him in charge of me. Right? It's the same as tithing. None of you give your money to Jesus. He's at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Okay, we don't, there's not like some postal service that sends money up into heaven and then he does something with it up there. What? God puts the local church structure to manage the finances, and when you give, you're giving to the Lord, absolutely. But you're giving it to the Lord's stewards, and the same thing when you when you submit. And so, this may be a stretch. If you're not willing to submit to authority in your life, you may not be willing to submit to the Lord. And I say that with all humility. In fact, I hate talking about that. Because I don't like to be your authority. I love you. And I love being over you. And I love being your pastor. There's no, there's, there really isn't many things that is more of an honor to me than to get to pastor you guys. Adults and students alike. But to, to say you have to submit to me is really heavy. I don't like it. It's scary, bro. This is me being scared. Because you have to submit to me. And because we will be at the judgment seat of Christ one day together. And your parents probably. And then we just look at ministry. 
And some of it gets burned up, and some of it, you know, doesn't. And how is your attitude? Are you ready to submit? Are you humble? Are you willing to surrender your life to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ? To be the church? All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 3. <clears throat> this is short and sweet. Our goal, okay? Here's the goal. Man, you know, our purpose is to preach the gospel, to make disciples. You know, we do that with humble attitudes. We do that with caring uh, eyes for other people. But here's what, here's what Paul is beseeching us, or the Ephesians, the church, to do. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, working, laboring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This unity of being in Christ, right? Consider the context. It's not just talking about us in this church right here. It's talking about the Jews and Gentiles that have now been brought into the church, right? Now all these, this vast amount of, of personality types and ethnicities and all these different people coming into one body, the church. And he says, you've got to work. You've got to work at it to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Christ laid down His life for the world, right? So that we can have unity in Him. He conquered racial, right? Racial walls, boundaries. That's a hot topic today. The media really likes to exploit that. Really likes to tell us that white and black people don't get along. That's crap. That's a lie. White and black people absolutely get along in Christ. Jesus bled out for that. He bought that. He broke that wall down. Economic boundaries. Right? You could have a million dollars and I could have none. And we can have unity. We can be tight. Social walls. All of it. He broke them down. He paid His blood to purchase that. And He desires that we would endeavor to keep it or to maintain it, right? To maintenance that unity. We have to keep it. We have to work at it. By driving toward peace, the bond of peace, that's what's going to keep us, right? In this unity, this spirit of unity. Unity of the spirit. It's this bond of peace. I'm working for peace with my brothers and sisters. But you know what? There are times in my life often that I get at odds or there's a miscommunication and I feel like I don't know if I have that person's heart. I don't know if I'm right with that person. It happens. I play Foxbox fairly often, you know, the Frisbee game. And pretty much every time I play, I talk direct trash to people. <laughs> in my mind, it's all good. Like if Nate and I are talking trash to each other, I'm, I, it's only good. Like I love it. Like he could make fun of me. He could say whatever he wants and vice versa. But there's other people who are there, right? And so when I'm saying things to them, I'm like, man, I don't know if that came off right. Like, I think I might have just hurt that person's feelings. And you know what I have to do? I have to trust God. I have to pray about it. Yeah. Then I have to go talk to those people. And I have to hug them. And I have to apologize. I have to humble myself before them. Hey, I'm really sorry. 
I don't know if that came off wrong. I don't know if, like, we're cool. You know, like, I, I didn't mean, I'm not even saying I'm right, but I just, you know, this happened, and sorry. I have to endeavor to keep, to maintenance, the unity in the church. So do you. And this requires time and sacrifice. Because the principle is that nothing gets kept, right? Nothing gets maintenanced. Nothing gets upkeep. Nothing gets taken care of. My yard, my marriage, unity in the body of Christ. Nothing gets kept without investing time and energy into it. Your Bible studies won't grow unless you invest time and energy into them. There won't be unity unless you aim for it. This group won't grow. There won't be unity unless we work at it. And, and, and God is asking us to do that, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He purchased it. He wants us to maintain it. Here's the conclusion. Okay, Two questions for you. How do, how do we need to respond from here? I don't know what it is that the Lord is like ticking on your heart. Like, hey, come on. I know you hear this. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God has shown you from His Word this morning. But you've got two options, okay? We're out of time, basically. Option number one. We're going to have just a a moment of quietness. Okay? Moment of quietness. And I want you to be reflective. I want you to be prayerful. Just prayerfully considering what the Lord has laid out for you. But then we're going to go into main service. And um, I'm going to do what I do every Sunday. I'm going to go sit in the pews as soon as I can. I'm going to go right there. Because I'm, I, man, the small talk is just so hard for me sometimes. And like, I just like get anxious. So I'm going to go right in there. And whoever comes in and sits is good. And we'll talk and it'll be good. But if you know that there's something that you need to, you need to lay before the Lord. And you need someone else to pray with you. You need, you need help. I'm going to be in there. Counselors are going to kind of wander. and We'll make our way over there too. And some of them will probably be in the cafe. And that's all good. And you go to the cafe, get your stuff, whatever. But if you know you need to pray, you need to lift something up to the Lord, don't run away from it. Don't run from the Lord, man. Just go right to His feet. Let's just pray. Let's do business. Because then we can go into the worship set. We can go into the main service. And we can start our heart just totally given to the Lord. Worship, praise, all surrender. There's nothing we're hanging on to. There's nothing we're feeling icky about. Right? We just give it all to the Lord. And then, man, we'll hear the preaching and we're going to be blessed, right? Does that make sense? Don't run unless you're running to the Lord.